Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800 247 3051. 800 247 3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Walking out of chapter 28 and 29 with a feeling of, I'm really something, you know? I mean, I just cut a great deal with God. I just got God to be my companion, my protector, and my provider. And all I had to give up was some nebulous promise that sometime in the future I might make him my, my God. I might make the Lord my God. That was a great deal. I'm proud of myself. But if my arm was a little longer, I'd pat it all the way there. I could get all that from God? And maybe I'll just wait till my deathbed to make the Lord my God. Boy, did I get a good deal from God. So this is a then. That's the word then in verse 4. It shows us how good Jacob's feeling. I mean, there's a spring. There's a certain spring in Jacob's step now as he really feels he got this great deal from God. In fact, that certain new spring in Jacob's step is actually brought out in verse 1 in the Hebrew. When it says in verse 1, Jacob went on his journey Literally, the Hebrew reads, Jacob lifted up his feet. He's got this new spring. He's so happy. He's so full of hope. He's so full of hope for the future. Jacob thinks that he can go on now without God telling him what to do, without the Lord being his God. Boy, this looks great to him. And on the surface, those words, then Jacob went on his journey, they seem to be just explained to us that Jacob was traveling from his homeland in Canaan and was coming into Syria, to Haran. But this journey is different for Jacob now than it is. And why is this journey different from all other journeys, you know, (laughs) for Jacob? Because for all other journeys for Jacob, Jacob was alone. But now God is with him. And this is the part of the new section with Jacob because this journey is very different for Jacob because of the promise in verse 15 of the previous chapter, behold, I am with thee. He said all those things and I won't leave you. See, this is the start of a new journey. That's a journey of behold, I am with thee, and or wow, I am with thee. So from verse 15 of the previous chapter, we can read into verse 1 something like this. Then Jacob went on his journey with God with him. See, that's what happens to a person when he receives the Lord Jesus Christ. He's no longer on his life journey alone, but from the time that he receives the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus is always with him. And what a journey this is going to be for Jacob with God, but God's still with Jacob. I mean, what a journey we have in our life with God with us. I mean, these words, Jacob went on this journey, they open for us this new section of Jacob. Section starts here, verse 1, and it extends all the way to chapter 30, verse 24. This is this particular section. And in this section in Jacob's life that starts here and goes to chapter 30, verse 24, This is a section in Jacob's life that we just need to fasten our seatbelts for. 
You know, we're, where we are right now in verse one, we're like, it's, you know, the roller coaster's coming up, it's going click, 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 click. And so now it's like fasten your seatbelts because it's going to start. It's a section, it's an amazing section. It's a section in Jacob's life that's amazing as we see God in Jacob's life through a lot of conflict and a lot of stress. Because God is in Jacob's life through all this, he's going to gain, well, not just wife, I guess one's good, you might as well have four, you know, children. We'll see in this section how Jacob will make two agreements. The wheeler-dealer negotiator is going to end up making two agreements with good old Uncle Laban. And we'll see in this section how Jacob, against his will, ends up consummating his marriage to Leah, a woman he never wanted to marry. We'll see in this section how Jacob hated his wife Leah. We'll see how God didn't want Jacob to hate Leah. We'll see how Jacob will have children from Leah, a woman he hated. We'll see in this section how Jacob experiences anger from the woman he loved, Rachel, Rachel's anger. And we'll see in this section how Jacob, here's the worst part of all, he will be caught in the middle of two women bitterly at war with each other. And these two women just happen to be his wives. And in this section, we'll see how Jacob will not be able to stay out of this bitter war of this conflict between these two women. And we'll see how these women at war, they expand their war by throwing Jacob into the arms of two more women that they control, and how poor Jacob will be further used in this war, and he'll end up having children with the maid women that he's been thrown into. And we'll see in this section how Jacob did not name one of his children, but how these warring women used the name, they named the children, and they named the children about this war. I mean, and this war between these women was so bitter that all the names of the children were memorials to the war that, between the two women. He hated this war. Jacob couldn't get away. He couldn't get away from the bitter war between these two women because every time he called one of his children by their names, it was a reminder of the war between the two women. <laughs> I mean, picture a man who went through World War II like my father-in-law and hated World War II and wouldn't even talk about that World War II. He just wanted to forget World War II. And then just picture if his children, one, what's your name, Battle of the Bulge? <laughs> what's your name, Omaha Beach? What's your name, D-Day? What's your name, Battle of Britain? I mean, the poor guy wants to forget the war. And he can't because all his kids are named after the battles. That's what it was like for poor Jacob. He didn't get to name one of his sons, except for his last son, when Rachel named him Benoni, the son of my sorrow. And only because Rachel had died, just died, did he have the chance to change the name to Benjamin, son of my right hand. And what will amaze us will be to see how God used this bitter war between two women in Jacob's home to bless Jacob with children. And all this great blessing came out of a disaster it was for one reason. See, God was with Jacob, as he said in Genesis 28, 15. Behold, I am with thee, will keep thee until I bring you back. See, God was with Isaac when he said in Genesis 26, 24, the Lord appeared unto him, Isaac, the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham, thy father, fear not, for I am with thee. See, God was with Isaac when Isaac was being deceived. And a great blessing came out of that deception as Isaac blessed Jacob, who he was supposed to, instead of Esau. And Jacob would have done well to sit down and think about how God was with my father Isaac 
when Isaac was being wrongly deceived and how God made blessing come out of that deception. And what we'll see in this section is how Jacob will be deceived into marrying the woman he hated, but we'll see that God was with Jacob when Jacob was being deceived and how God will make a great blessing come out of that deception. See, for in Jacob's life, what we're gonna see in this, in this passage is that sometimes Jacob is rich in fortune, sometimes he's rich in misfortune. <laughs> he's always rich in blessing. And that's the true of our lives. Now, we see how Jacob arrived in Syria in verse one, and it says, Jacob went on his journey, came unto the land of the people of the east. See, the people that Jacob came to here are called the people of the east. They're not called the Syrians. They're not called people of Haran. They're called people of the east. And that's significant that that's pulled out that way. Why? Because in Hebrew, the word here that's used for east is kedma. Kedma has the meaning of forward, going forward, looking forward. The sun rises in the east. And it has the idea of the morning of hope. And there's a political group, political party in Israel, which is called Kedima, from Kedma, which means going forward. We're not going backwards, we're going forward. And during the 1948 war, Israel War of Independence, that was the call to the officers, to the soldiers, who would say, Kedima, go forward. And because many of these people didn't speak Hebrew, it was tragic. They didn't know what they were saying, but anyway. But the word, this word, it arouses an exhilarating, adrenaline-packed surge with hope of moving forward. And that's what was happening here. This is the idea of the people of the East, the people of Kedma, the people of the hope, the people of moving forward. Okay, so we've seen at Bethel how really Jacob had three options. Option one, Jacob is 100% led by Jacob and God helps Jacob. Option two, Jacob is 50% led by Jacob and 50% led by God. Option three, Jacob is 100% led by God as the Lord is Jacob's God. So which one of the three options did Jacob choose? First one, right? Same choice is true in our lives as well. So it says here, when it says in verse one that Jacob came into the land of the people of the east, it's really reading, Jacob came into the land of Kedma, the morning, the, the new hope. And so in other words, this is a grand experiment in uh, Jacob's life, a grand experiment. I will show everyone that you can have option one and you can just have a great life and I'll get myself out of all the problems in this life. So Jacob has come from really a terrible situation back home in Beersheba and he has a lot of anxieties he has a lot of fears and he's funneled all this energy of these anxieties and fears into hope and so he's funneled them all into this kedma this people of these is going forward new beginnings it's going to be a new day Jacob says, I've had too much night in my life, and now I've got the morning here. i got the people of the east. This is my land of opportunity. Like my friend said in Israel, he said, I can only make millions in Israel, but I came to the U.S. to make billions. Only now he's on welfare. But anyway, <laughs> land of new opportunities. When a person says to God, no, I will not have you rule over my life. I will not allow the Lord to be my God. There's a certain sense of an exhilarating freedom and hope and that's what's contained there in verse one. It's telling us that Jacob has just experienced this as he's coming there. So when it says in verse one that Jacob came into this land of the people of the east, it might as well have said something like this. And Jacob, having told the Lord that he could not be his God, Jacob felt exhilarated as he came to the people of Kedma, people of New Beginning, moving forward. So Jacob does not know at this point in his life 
without the Lord being his God and under his own guidance of what a disaster it's going to be. For now, he's just full of hope, anticipation, great things are happening, and without the Lord is his God. And so he doesn't know that dear old Uncle Laban is part of the people of these Kedma. <laughs> and he's going to nearly crush the spirit out of Jacob. He has no idea this is going to happen to him. Because for now, all Jacob can see is that he has emerged out of the clutches of God who only wanted to tell him what to do in life. And now Jacob's going to show everyone the great, fulfilling, satisfying life of this great journey of Kedma, hopeful, looking forward, and so forth. Okay, Jacob lifted up his feet, verse 1, and came into the land of the people of forward-looking hope. So verse 1 really represents hope for Jacob with this new spring in his step and so forth. And up to this point, like we said, Jacob's had a lot of fears and anxiety. He's funneled them all. And he's walked about 450 miles. You know, it took a little while, two to three weeks. And so kind of watching Jacob here, maybe he's got his head down thinking about all the troubles he's left behind in Beersheba and the, thinking about that night with God in Bethel and how he's determined to make a new start. And then verse 2 portrays to us how Jacob, you know, I've got a picture of him, he kind of lifts up his head there. And we read in verse 2 to him, and he looked, it says, and behold, a well in the field and three flocks of sheep lying by it. Out of it, they watered the flocks, a great stone. So he looks up and he first, he sees this well in the field. And he sees three flocks of sheep lying around the well, waiting to be watered. And he sees a big stone covering the well. And Jacob says, oh, this site is like symbolic. He thinks to himself, a well in the middle of the desert. That's my life, a middle of a desert. Look, this is great. Here's a well. This desert's like my life. I feel like I'm in the middle of the desert. I'm dying in the middle of the desert. And now I just found water. Yeah, he's got all his hope. Water in the middle of the desert. That's how my new life's going to be with this kid, but I just found it, all right. And so he found that well as he entered into this new land, and Jacob felt he'd come to the right place. I mean, after all, Jacob was sent to go find a wife in a new land, and he comes to a well in a new land. Isn't that the perfect place to find a wife? Isn't that where you go? <laughs> no. It's perfect. I mean, that's where you find a wife. That's where his mother came from, uh, the well. Isaac's wife was found at a well. Moses' wife was found at a well. A well's where you find a wife. <laughs> When you come across the border in Takati, you drop down the hill there a little bit. It's a city square with a fountain, a little stage for musicians. And on what used to happen on Sundays is where this is where men found wives because the musicians would play. And then around the stage, the single women would walk in one direction. And then an outer ring around them, the single men would walk in the other direction. And then outside of them all would be the parents watching everything. <laughs> That's where, that's where a lot of marriages were made there in Takati. So that's where you went to find a wife. Okay, so he goes to a well. So there was the scene described in verse 2. Middle of a desert, a well, big stone, three flocks. And verse 3, there's an explanation now given to us of how the watering took place. It says the flocks were gathered. They rolled the, they rolled the stones from the well's mouth, watered the sheep, put the stone again on the well's mouth in its place. See, we're told, first of all, that the flocks of sheep would be gathered... And then the stone would be rolled away and the sheep would be watered and the stone would be rolled back. But what's important to see in verse 3 is the word they. Because in verse 2, it says the stone was great. And so it took more than just one person to roll the stone back. 
and rolling the stone was not a job for just one man. It was more like uh, it was too big for one man to do. That's the reason why they did that, because these, they're valuable. The water, these wells and these cistern in the desert, they were, took a lot of expense to build them. They were owned either individually or jointly by tribes or families. So they had these big stones on them. It was kind of like security. It was a security measure. So Jacob has traveled 450 miles over the last two to three weeks, He hasn't had a GPS to guide him. (laughs) He doesn't know if he reached the right place or not, Aaron. So he asked the men in verse 4. He said, my brethren, whence be ye? And they said of Aaron, oh, everything's going my way. First of all, it's important to see how he asked these men. He calls them brethren, brothers. You know, you can picture one of the guys saying to him, do I know you? (laughs) And we can see Jacob, he's coming on a little strong, right? He's coming on a little strong here. He doesn't even know these men, and all of a sudden they're brothers. And he doesn't even know he's in the right city, but they're brothers. And it shows how Jacob is really feeling his oats at this point. And he asked them, once be ye, where are you from? And his relief and delight, he hears that they're from Haran. Oh, things couldn't be better. So Jacob's life in the driver's seat and God in the back seat is really going well. And Jacob is just elated. Now Jacob knows he's reached Haran, verse 5, and he's been sent to his mother's brother Laban to get a wife. So in verse five, he asked the men and he said unto them, know ye Laban, the son of Nahor? They said, we know him. Oh, that's even better. He's really, oh, this couldn't be more perfect. He's been able to come to right where Laban is. We can imagine how thrilled Jacob is. I mean, Jacob has just, uh, he's gotta go get from Laban one of his daughters for a wife. So you gotta find out, is he all right? Is he sick? Is he alive? And because, you know, it takes a long time, and the news hasn't reached Beersheba for a long time about how Uncle Laban is. So anyway, he asked them, is he well? In verse 5, they said, he's well. And then they say, and behold, Rachel, his daughter, come with the sheep. Oh, that's a grand slam home run. You know, he's got it. Not only does he hear that Laban is in good health, here comes one of Laban's daughter named Rachel. Maybe she'll be the wife with the sheep. See, her name, Rachel, means sheep. It means little lamb. And so she's, we see her here alone. She's tending the sheep. And ask the question, well, why wasn't the oldest sister tending the sheep? Well, she had weak eyes. Maybe the sun hurt her eyes or, you know, it's, I don't know. Maybe she couldn't see clearly enough and she lost too many sheep. So, you know, the <laughs> job fell to Rachel. So, so Jacob is looking at the approach of this beautiful girl and who's one of Laban's daughters. And he's looking at the stone over the well. And he's thinking, I got to remove the stone from the well. See? Because the, the stone on the well is an obstacle. But he's actually thinking, there's another obstacle here, you know? And he's looking at those shepherds around the well, and he's thinking, I gotta remove them first, you know? <laughs> and they might be harder than the stone to remove. Anyway, so he takes this authoritative position with them in verse seven, and he says, you can just see him, you know? He says, lo, <laughs> it's yet high day, neither is it time that the cattle should be gathered together. Water you the sheep and go and feed them, so, I mean, you know, if you want to describe what's Jacob like, he's coming on pretty strong. I mean, it's one thing with the brothers. Now we've kind of gone a little bit, a little bit higher in the coming on strong level here. Low, it is yet high day. See, by using the word low, he nay behold to these men, it's like he's bringing them a big revelation that it's noontime. <laughs> they can't see that, you know? And we can imagine these shepherds thinking to themselves, this man really think that we're so stupid that we don't know it's noontime? So Jacob's really making a fool out of himself, you know? Women will do that to men. So 
Jacob comes on strong by becoming the revealer to the men, telling what time of day it is. And then he comes on strong by becoming their instructor when he said, neither is it the time the cattle should be gathered together. So he's telling them that they're doing wrong. They're wrong how they're doing their shepherd work. I mean, you know, Jacob's telling the shepherd that the cattle shouldn't be gathered to the other right then. We can imagine these shepherds are thinking to themselves, here comes this guy. He's got no sheep. He's got no cattle. And he's going to tell us, first of all, what time of day it is. And now, you know, we don't know who this guy, we don't know, you know, he's got no cattle of his own. And now he's going to tell us that we shouldn't be gathering our cattle together. So he's not revealing what time of day it is. He's instructing them, the cattle should be kept. And, and, you know, they should say something to him like, you know, where'd you come from? You know, can you go back there? <laughs> and then he takes another step forward. And he, now he's their commander in verse 27. Water you the sheep. Go, feed them. Special emphasis on go. So now these shepherds are looking at each other and they're saying, who's this guy? He comes on so strong. He starts out with the brothers. And now he's our boss. You <laughs> know, you know, he thinks he's profitable for doctrine and for reproof and correction, you know. Oh, boy. And so he says in verse 7, go, feed the sheep. He really meant go, you know. He really meant scram, you know. So now Jacob, he doesn't have much time to get along with Rachel. And his plan to get rid of the shepherds is not going so well because they don't agree. In verse 8, they said, we cannot until the flocks be gathered together, until they roll the stone from the whale's mouth and we water the sheep. So the shepherds now are protesting and they tell Jacob, we can't follow your orders, boss, until all the men have come with their sheep and then we can move the stone. Now, that was kind of nice of them to put it that way. I mean, you know, they could have said, you know, look, buddy, okay? But this has all gone not so good for plan for Jacob because it's too slow. Everything's happening too slow and he hasn't been able to get rid of these men. So in verse 9, it says, while he yet spake with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she kept them. He's like, oh, I was supposed to get rid of them, and now she's here. But it doesn't matter. So Rachel comes right in the middle of him trying to remove the obstacle of these men being there. See, up until this point, Jacob had been striving with these men to get them to go, and now Rachel appears in verse 9, and suddenly something happens to Jacob, and it says there in verse 10, and it came to pass when Jacob saw Rachel the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, the sheep. Let me read this a certain way and see if you pick up my emphasis, or really it's the emphasis here. It came to pass when Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, (laughs) and sheep of Laban, his mother's brother. And Jacob went near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Was there some? Was there a little repetition in there? <laughs> Did we have to be told that three times that Laban was his mother's brother? What does that have to do with anything here? It has a lot to do with it. Uh, verse 11, I meant. He kissed Rachel and lifted up his voice and he wept. But the question is, why did he cry after he kisses Rachel? Well, there's a lot of questions here. Why did he kiss Rachel? But I mean, apart from that, why did he cry? Because he's lost his head. And the emphasis here, I keep saying his mother's brother, his mother's brother. I mean, look at it there. Verse 10, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, number one. Number two, verse 10, the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother. Number three, verse 10, the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Verse 12, number four, he was Rebekah's son. See, all these times, this continual reference to his mother, it shows us why Jacob cried. Jacob was overly attached to his mother. And Jacob has not recovered since he had to leave his mother. And Jacob is on the rebound. And when he meets Rachel, he's just met his mother's replacement or substitute. (laughs) You lucky woman. (laughs) 
And meanwhile, the shepherds, they're just like, you know, you won't believe what happened today. <laughs> they're dumbfounded. They're just, they, you know, they're just like, you know, this guy is just incredible. I mean, you know, it's unbelievable. You know, he kisses Rachel, and then it's incredible. He sits there and cries like a baby. Okay, welcome to life without God. So let's pray. Father, thank you so much for causing us to hear your voice this morning that you might instruct us. And help us, Lord, that we would not push your voice away, but that we would be instructed so that we don't make same mistakes. In Jesus' name, amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Now, Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. Or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at Tom Cantor. That's T-O-M-C-A-N-T-O-R, Tom Cantor, at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Thanks for listening to Friendship with God with Tom Cantor. Looking for an exciting career in the medical field or biotech industry? Join Scanabody's Biologics, founded by a Christian businessman, Tom Cantor. It's a premier company dedicated to advancing patient care and serving the community of San Diego. Scanabody's has global operations and over 700 employees and growing. And if you have a heart for people and a desire to join a leading biotech company, call us 619-258-9300, 619-258-9300, scanabodies.com, that's scanabodies.com.